the second hour, and of course, uh, joined once again by Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix, and you know, I, I say on this program fairly regularly, and it's not a statement made rhetorically or in hyperbole, either one, it's true, uh, far too many people continue to show up to the chess match ready to play checkers, so if you are tired of uh, getting checkmated when you think you're playing checkers, you definitely want to listen to Alan, and I would suggest uh, going back through the archives many, many times. And speaking of that, I was saying during the break that um, since the last short was sec- last segment was short, I wouldn't mind if you went back over that, um, what you were just saying. I mean, the history, like I said, that 60 seconds worth of soundbite was probably six months' worth of research for most people. Yeah, it's astonishing to go back and realize that that uh, the medieval times were nothing like as portrayed in Hollywood. Um, there wasn't a, a merry old king who just loved his subjects. Uh, it was far far more gross than that, because with the same types of cunningness, the Machiavellianism going on with those who already held power, and the Knights Templars, for instance, never went away. They'd, they were given pretty well immunity in England, but definitely in Scotland. And uh, even the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who was the treasurer for Britain, for the, for the government, is called the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And you'll find the, the, the actual H-shaped checkerboard uh, in, in Temple Square in London. That's where the Knights Templars worked out their profits and loss and all the loans they gave out on a, a, a chessboard basically, in the outdoors, using big poles to push the big chess pieces. And so they never went away. But in the 1500s, in the time of Queen Elizabeth I, we find um, massive changes happening in history, lots being written at the time, and a push towards science uh, suddenly broke out everywhere. Bacon was into it big time, uh, the scientific research. We find that with, uh, let's say, John Dee, around Queen Elizabeth I as well. Uh, he was also a spy for Queen Elizabeth I, and his, his name was 007, or his number was 007, in his correspondence to the Queen, where Francis Drake, uh, Walter Raleigh, all the big adventurers and pirates and buccaneers that brought home the booty of their thievery to fill the, the coffers of the Queen. Uh, so at the same time, uh, mind you, uh, they set up the British East India Company, 
an international corporation uh, that had all the status of an international corporation in that day. Yeah. And they, um, they ran it basically through a, a secret society that at the time was called the Rosicrucian Society. It was international, and uh, it was already in France and uh, in a few other countries by the time it, it was mentioned in England. And the tops of all these big corporations, explorers and so on, all were members of, of the Rosicrucian Society. That wow. became Freemasonry in the 1700s. And at the head We're of Freemasonry, to a break. I didn't even expect that. Again. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that on the other side of the break. I'm, I'm riveted. I'm sure that you are too. Stick around. We'll be right back. Once again, to Road Warrior Radio with my guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Go check out his show if you haven't. I'm sure if you listen to this show, you probably listen to Alan's show. And uh, it's fantastic. As I said earlier, I do not take notes on shows, but I have taken notes on, on uh, Alan's shows. And uh, there was one, as I said back in February, that was just so captivating. I had to stop, and it was just, man, just so much information in there. Like I was saying earlier, you were going over all of the usual suspects and more. Uh, you mentioned Franz, Franz Packard, who doesn't come up a lot. You mentioned Ian Taylor, who doesn't come up a lot. Um, the specific books, you know, Wells, uh, The Shape of Things to Come was one. And you, you mentioned how he had an entire staff of writers. I don't want to get off. I mean, my goodness, I could, we could go on. You could go on for weeks, I'm sure, on all of this stuff, but... Can. It's, it's endless. The, the histories are endless because you realize that there's been lots of um, worker bees, I call them, the, the big technocrats, running around, around the world, uh, teaching at universities, giving lectures to governments and so on, for, for centuries, in fact. And they all work for uh, a secretive organization that really does guide the world. It gives us the cultures. It, it changes the cultures always for their own uh, progress, as I say, um, the direction they want us to go in. But the public are never aware uh, that they're not free at all. Uh, they're very happy slaves. They do accept today that their the big brother has a nice face. He can't be all that bad. And that's why they'll deny the evidence when you present it to them. They've been taught to be egocentric, so they'll avoid the pain um, of unpleasantness and they'll seek pleasure. Because if you accept the truth, you have to make decisions in your own personal life, and then you have to act on them. And they're not used to making these kinds of decisions. So they, they decide to live in denial, even when they're starting to suffer from the effects of those things that are happening around them. So as I say, these sciences have always been perfectly understood. 
And anyone who wants to know how, how well understood, just look at Machiavelli and read yeah. The Prince. It's an excellent uh, handbook on how to rule whole societies. Look at the books written for the kings uh, or royalty by Francis Bacon, because he actually wrote some books there that were like resumes uh, for someone who wants to be an advisor to kings. And, and he said the same thing. It's best that the public never know the real reasons of, of laws and, and regulations that are set upon them. He said, he said because they might rebel. So that he was teaching the ways to give uh, false perceptions to the public back in his own lifetime hundreds of years ago. This has never changed, never, ever changed. And it's worse today because they have had centuries of using um, the behaviors, now it's the behavioral sciences, and we are very predictable now. They know how to, to work on the mass culture very easily. They have the tools, and they have the educational system as well, which starts it all off. So we're in bad shape. But at the top, as I say, going back to Bacon's time, uh, the Rosicrucians were in full bloom. And then we find out in the 1700s, um, Freemasonry was born, basically, as it is today, um, using some of the, the Rosicrucian traditions, but not the higher secrets. That's reserved for noble nobility or noble to orders. Use a, yep. kind of a hybrid term of yours. You'd call that, uh, I think it was 1717, you, call, you would call that like the uh, Masonry 2.0, so to speak, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, what they do, you see, they fashioned it after the Catholic Church in many ways. And they used the, the Jesuit system but they also used the system of monks and monasteries. Uh, one, one monastery could spawn off another sect that was a specialized sect in an area. And this is what they did from their main society uh, back in the 1500s, the Rosicrucians. They then uh, gave birth to other specialized departments, all working like a cluster around them towards the same end in their own areas. And it's, it's massive today. It's the same type of organization today. It's a pyramid with a capstone and all the building blocks that hold it up are all the worker NGOs and uh, foundations that hold it up. At the bottom, of course, you'll, you'll see the, the sparse grass here and there, and that's the wasteland. That means the general public. That's the population of the world, uh, those in the darkness or the profane. That's how the world is run. And that logo basically is on uh, the badge of MI5. Uh, people can look it up for themselves. you see the pyramid there too. So that's how the structure really is. And uh, people don't realize too uh, that democracy has never been a, a stable thing. It's never had a fixed definition. It keeps altering in the 1700s right up into the the 20th century, World War I in Britain, you had to own land and, or be a landlord in order to vote. The people in Britain didn't get that vote and, and, uh, if they rented, and 90-odd percent of the public in Britain at that time rented. So it was, the country was run by a few. Uh, so when they had to give democracy or the idea of participation and representation to the general public, they, they simply went around it with the parallel government that really runs the show. It puts its own people in at the top and all sides, all parties. Carol Quigley talked about that. And, and they can't lose control. Margaret Thatcher's come out openly and, and talked about the parallel governments. Uh, 
that she belonged to and all ex-prime ministers and presidents belong to. They all know each other and they all have the same uh, agenda in mind. There's no differentiation really about where they're going and why they want to bring us there. So they have an old plan of elitists who use lots of these uh, worker bees who are kept in a high lifestyle, lots of prominence, and uh, people bow to them. But uh, their, their goal is to come through in this, into a new world order where all the lesser type, the common people, will be eradicated because we're old, we're obsolete, literally obsolete, genetically and so on, and we have not bred um, selectively. We have not had our mates picked for us, and therefore we must be called off because within our gene pool, there's always a chance of a revolutionary coming up and upsetting the apple cart. That's what they yeah. say in their own writings. And we find with the Cold Harbor uh, system that was set up on eugenics in the United States, um, that's the conclusion that they came out with, uh, Cavendish and others came out with. They said that they couldn't trust the population, even if you had a good offspring that worked for them, uh, but because he was trained that way, his offspring might be more primitive and go off in a different direction. Therefore, that gene pool had to be eradicated. Now they're talking about the whole population of the planet, except the select few that will serve them. And through genetics, they really, really do, do believe they can create, and I do believe they can too, mind you. They're, they're way beyond what they tell the public. They can create new, yeah. a new human species to serve them better than we do. I completely agree. And you, you point out all the time, I mean, for example, Bertrand Russell back in 53, uh, and the impact of uh, science on society. I mean, he wrote, and, and how weird these words must, you know, start to sound in today's revealed uh, scientific um, climate. You know, he, he uh, said, among other very disturbing things, that gradually by, the so, by selective breeding, the congenital differences between rulers and ruled will increase until they become almost different species. Yes. And he said a revolt of the plebes would become as unthinkable as an organized insurrection of sheep against the practice of eating mutton. Now that is correct. And then when you go into even deeper studies, it becomes more horrific because it dawns in you, sometimes gradually, sometimes very quickly, that especially reading books from after Kessler. Now, Kessler and Russell and, and others of that era all worked and I have, the, I have the books now on it, this declassified information. They all work for MI5, mm -hmm. and, uh, which works on behalf of the Crown, not the British government, but the Crown of England. Right. And you can see that, like you said, in all their logos, GC, HQ, MI5, MI6, yes. et cetera, et cetera. And, and so the, here you are, have an organization that people think is their countries, but it's not. It's the, it, it's the Queen's or the royal families. The same royal families, mind you, that have tremendous links with Germany in Prussia. And uh, Prince Philip, for instance, was over uh, at the graves of uh, uh, some of his, of his old ex-Nazi SS partners and, and relatives. Uh, that's been in the British newspapers. And that's what's at the head of Britain, you know. So you've you got to start asking these questions. Who runs the show? Uh, who are these people really? How long is their history and we can go back through centuries before they even moved into Britain. And we find in Venice and we find the black nobility and so on, uh, they, were, they were incredibly rich people even back then. 
They ran the commerce of the world in those eras, and they've come up through time, always having their partners selected for them. The inbreeding of psychopathy is definitely a trait with them. They don't have normal human emotion or empathy for, for other type of people outside of their own class, and very often not for their own children even. You'll notice that the boarding school system originated in, in Germany and in England for the wealthier classes, and it was traditional for people in royalty to have um, nursing uh, nannies for their children. They didn't even see their children often. As soon as the Once child again, was old enough, they were set off to boarding school. So Once again, we're running into a break, and unfortunately, we got to stop there. Stick around. We'll be right back on the other side of the short break with my guest, Alan Watt. My guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Three evenings a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 7 to 8 Central. You can grab the show on the archives if you don't catch them live. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing show. Hopefully you can tell if you haven't heard him before, and I'd be surprised if you're listening to this show, if you haven't, that he can traverse the expanse of uh, recorded history uh, in light, you know, like tripping the light fandango, so to speak. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely marvelous. And, uh, I don't know about you, the listening audience, but I'm hanging on every word. And, uh, we actually have a caller on the line, uh, Melinda in Pennsylvania. I want to take her call before we, uh, move on. Cause I know that you could go on, uh, for as long as we could possibly give you. Melinda, thanks for staying up late. And, no uh, problem. 
Welcome. I, I'm a night owl, and I listen right to you. And, Alan, I just want to tell you that I've been listening to you for the last couple of months, and you make my brain hurt, and it should be hurting. I mean, it, it really, there's so much information there, and I fall down the rabbit hole, and I, I, you make me stay down there for a while. And yes. uh, I, I don't remember hearing anyone that, that made me think so much, and I just want to thank you. Uh, and I know that on your program that you have mentioned that uh, some people have taken advantage of you, and I just want to let you know that there are those of us who are taking advantage of every word that you have to share and passing it on. And, That's what it's there for, yeah. And I, I, I want to tell you, you were just starting to address something that I've been thinking about a lot, and that is these, these individuals, these elitists who are running the world, they're obviously without conscience. And and is it is it through intermarrying that has bred it out of them? I know that you said that they, they don't live a life like us at all, and their puppets, including our political leaders, do they also, do they program them? Because how can these political candidates and other people who are helping to, or so-called the people who are running our country, and knowing what's happening behind the scenes, how can they live with themselves, and how can they hoodwink us? Psychopaths can be born in any generation from any family. However, uh, it's like Plato said, certain traits can be bred in or out by selective breeding. And we find that the powerful families, even in ancient times, generally won their power by slaughtering other people. So they already had the psychopathic traits. Uh, some of them were more cunning than others. Those are the ones who eventually matched up with, with, the, with the, the daughters of other psychopaths. And so technically you have an ongoing race of people uh, who are psychopathic passing that on to their children and even showing it in, in the fact that they do separate the children often very young into special schools. The Egyptians, for instance, the ancient Egyptians, used to send their sons out to another lord that would be related to them, uh, and he would become, they would become basically the squire to that lord. That was standard, and that, that's exactly the same system that was used by the Normans, and I think there's a connection all down through history. Uh, they, they all like to, to, to use the falcons for hunting. You see that in the frescoes. They're the same MOs of the fox hunt and so on. Uh, so we're looking at very, very old families with their own particular culture at the very top. However, they can also recruit um, the, the, the lower type psychopaths, lower level psychopaths into work for them, and they have no problem with that because psychopaths uh, by nature seek power over others, and they, 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 they gravitate towards politics like a magnet. Uh, their ego is incredibly huge. In fact, a psychopath's ego, uh, 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 they say they're ego-centric. Uh, the world revolves around them, and that's why they gravitate into politics, and that's why nothing that's disclosed about their past ever faces them. They never blush. We'll be right back. Stick around. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
right, welcome back. Welcome back to the second hour of Road Warrior Radio with my guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix. And uh, I guess we lost uh, Melinda, and thank you for your call, Melinda. And, you know, before we jump off, and I don't know if you want to get back to the Gorbachev point that I interrupted you on uh, to begin with, but I was just going to say, one of the, because of the thing, uh, the, the evolution, the birth control, and the population growth, the eugenics, that keeps coming up, come, has come up a couple of times. I was going to say, one of my favorite ways to uh, explain um, evolution and the reasoning and the mindset behind it and why it's foisted upon us so much these days, um, I think a lot is was shaped out of uh, your uh, the information that you've put out. And I usually say where Malthus uh, left off, Francis Galton, um, half-cousin of Charles Darwin, picked up right where Malthus left off. And basically when he read his cousin Darwin's Origin of Species, he said, well, this is great. Um, this frees us from the theological argument that, uh, you know, life is precious. And now we can say you're biologically inferior, therefore you must die. Yep. And at the same time, with the inbreeding that they were practicing, actually believe that, you know, this concept of evolution is true and that it's real and that they're getting, you know, uh, better uh, hereditarily over generations. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. They, they need an excuse to... In fact, you, you see, it's not, it's not enough to have an idea or a belief system uh, at the top for their own class. You, you have to train your subjects to also believe it in order to have their compliance. So we always comply with their wishes, and they have reduced us to a state where, where it's non-religious. Religion was always in the way for them because... It elevated man and every man and woman um, up into a sacred status. So that was a, a big nuisance down through the centuries to them. So now they've trained us. No, we're just another biological species. We're protoplasm and neurons, and your thoughts are just little sparks between the nerve endings and, and the, the dendrites and so on. And once you believe that, once you believe that you're just, just another animal, you've just given up your right to stand up and say, you can't touch me, I'm a sovereign, sacred being. We've lost that right, we've given it up. So we have voluntarily complied because we've been conditioned to be basically atheistic in our thinking and to believe that the scientists are the new gods. Therefore, whatever they say must be true and we must obey them. And this is the worst tyranny of any religion that's ever existed on the planet the scientific tyranny, the same one that H.G. Wells worked with and also warned us about because he realized uh, he wasn't quite sure uh, on the right outcome of all of this, even though he worked towards it himself. Yeah, and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely, I mean, it's shocking and mind-boggling when you, when you find out and you realize or are exposed to the fact that they wrote about that too. You know, the fact that the way that language is smithed, and like I keep telling people, because it was you that said uh, the way that you express it again, you know, the way that, that you express it, I didn't hear anybody else express it the way that you did. Um, this language, like Orwell wrote about, you know, the way they, they, they've manipulated it through the centuries and millennia, but, you know, most recently brought brought down descriptive and creative language and thought to a point that, a uh, person can't communicate danger to his neighbor because of the yeah. plus and minus or the one that's, and zero. I try to send, but I don't do a good job of doing that, and the receiver can't receive it. So, 
that that's what's happened. Uh, they understand the science of communication and verbal and visual uh, communication. They understand all of these sciences. They're, they're slightly different from each other, so they can use visual on television and give you writing beneath it so uh, you, you're thinking two different levels at the same time and you're easily programmed that way but it's called psycholinguistics the use of how words are strung together in specific sentences and with the use of repetition at least eight times and all the big marketing companies understand this you have to hear it eight times before the average person will automatically spout that same sentence themselves without ever really reasoning it out to see if it should be their opinion. They just use the slogan. Uh, Lenin said we shall win the war for the world by the use of slogans. And yeah. they use psycholinguistics all the time, uh, weapons of mass destruction over and over. These kind of terms are used. And they're all, when you see 10 men across the world coming out with the same brand new term or phrase, yeah. then you know it's a, you're, you're an organization is running the whole show. Yeah. When you see a guy who supposedly is the most evil terrorist in the entire world show up on your own soil and give a talk at Columbia University mm -hmm. for the, the uh, visa that was granted by the guy that called him the most evil terrorist in the world, yes. that should draw questions in most people's minds without... <laughs> without yep. running away though and if people hear me chuckling it's not because I think it's funny it's because I'm so shocked and astonished that this is actually happening I mean the the truth really is stranger than fiction but and, and it, it did uh, come out I mean at the, at the Reese Commission when Senator yeah. Dodd was sent out to the foundations just to find out why they seem to be supporting uh, communist uh, front groups with heavy funding uh, then uh, he was so shocked when the, the, the CEO of the Ford Corporation or Foundation came out and told him. He said, yeah. well, our job is to help blend the culture and society and the educational system of, of the Soviet system with that of America so they could be blended together seamlessly. When you, when you couple that with Gorbachev being brought over, uh, an ex-KGB leader, an ex-president eventually of the Soviet Union, given the Presidio and given his his license to operate this charitable uh, foundation while he was still the president of the Soviet Union. That was already yeah. signed in California. Uh, then you know there's a bigger world agenda uh, uh, going on here. And this was after, of course, Margaret Thatcher had brought this new reformed communist over to the West with the, the $6,000 suit and so on, a uh, very trendy communist, and that's how the media were told to portray him and his wife and the media admitted that uh, they didn't ask any political questions about Russia during the whole visit because they were requested not to by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They all complied quite happily. Then they did a poll survey on U.S. citizens afterwards once they came over here, and they said, what do you think of this new trendy uh, president? Would you vote for this man? Seventy percent of the people said, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. They would vote um, him in as the president of the U.S. at that time because the, the, the media had done such a great PR job on him. <laughs> yeah, I remember that quote. And, you know, speaking of that, my wife asked me a rhetorical question. And, again, you know, I, I made the statement, and it sounds like hyperbole, but it really probably isn't. It's probably more true than – it's probably, I guess, funny because it's true. She was asking me the other day, kind of lamenting the whole election process and the – 
the the debacle and everything that's you know the whole fraud that it is really and yeah. asked a rhetorical question and I said you know I think I honestly believe this I really do that if um, even with the the banter between the the supposed you know two party system that we have um, if if the communist party candidate were to be elected by a landslide. Supposedly 95% of the popular vote went to this Communist Party no, uh, candidate nobody had heard of. I think most of America would respond by saying, well, I don't know. I don't know who he is, but somebody must have liked him. Maybe a lot of exactly. folks in the Midwest liked him. So, I don't know, maybe he's good. Let's give him a try. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Again, Huxley said, you'll know what the people want because it's what everyone else wants. That's right. how, they, how they decide what, what's everyone else doing. Unbelievable. That's how why opinion opinion polls were, were, were thought up, the whole idea of them, by Tavistock as well, uh, because they found out that if they put out polls saying anything that they wanted to say and yeah. claiming this percentage were for this and so much for that, the public would believe them and they'd, they'd go with what seemed to be the majority opinion. That's how simple it is. And which is why, you know, when McCain was asked earlier this year, I forget where he was, he was overseas uh, when he was interviewed, and asked specifically, you know, uh, the fact that he his position on most uh, matters of state was different than 70% of the American people. He said it doesn't matter. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, he's probably right. It doesn't matter. Before we... Before we run away, um, I don't know if you want to get back to the point uh, in response to Melinda's call about the psychopaths and that they never blush. It's amazing, you know, when you see these people, if anybody ever really stops and thinks about what's going on, like the, the uh, um, you know, the congressional committee hearings, even though we know that the fox is always in the hen house, um, the game is always rigged, um, even so, you know, if... if you or I, for example, were to show up before a congressional uh, oversight committee hearing, mm-hmm. supposedly on trial, um, even though it was a mock trial and we knew it was rigged. I would, I would blush. I would be a little, yep. you know, shocked. But like you said, they never blush. No. And the hubris of these people is just—I mean, it is sociopathic. It is. The, the psychopath uh, will immediately defend their ego. It doesn't matter if they're caught in the act of doing something. They'll deny it or rationalize the, the most irrational things away to suit their own ego first and foremost. And when the, the, the skeletons are brought out of the closet during election time, it doesn't phase them in the least. Uh, even when they're in power, like Bill Clinton coming on national television, looking right at the camera saying, I did not have sex with that woman. Um, uh, these characters have no shame. It doesn't, psychopaths are incapable of feeling shame. Incapable. It's not in their makeup. It's absent completely. And it's, it's, a, it's the greatest cover they have because the average person can only judge people by their own emotional standards. Uh, it, it's hard for them to realize these people don't have those emotional standards that are ruling over you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, and speaking of that, you know, the double speak, it's, it's intriguing to me that when you listen to what they're saying, a lot of times, you know, one of the things I pointed out, for example, on recent shows is that 
you'll hear one of the sound bites, uh, the rhetoric that goes around now is not the, when we hear about the economic collapse, it's not the collapse of markets, it's not the collapse of, co- of economy or, or any of that. It's, they, they say it specifically as a collapse of confidence. Everyone's saying collapse of confidence. And yep. people, uh, if they just would understand, as one person said, you know, what if they decided to throw a collapse and no one showed up? I mean, it's yep. that simple. That, that's right. But the, 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 when your president gets on national television and tells you basically to panic, <laughs> then yeah. the people will panic because that's what he, they, they want everyone. It's like 9-11. We had to believe that the whole world was at risk of, of a, a caveman somewhere. Yeah. And, and the hype they went to, to make us all believe that. It's the same hype they're using to, to get this off, uh, this whole economic uh, crisis on the go, to make us all stampede, so they can guide us into the new system. And it is a new system that's going to come out of this. Uh, they're all, they've already uh, set up the, uh, the machinery to put the World Bank at the top of all this, managing all the, the finances of the world. That was always the intention of the World Bank and the United Nations. It was set up eventually become the front organization for the elite uh, under the guise of our nice new daddy uh, who cares about us. And so that's what's coming out of it. And out of this, these bailouts, it isn't just national bailouts that you have to deal with. Under the, the Treaty for the Americas and the Summit of the Americas and the Amalgamation, this Peace and Prosperity Partnership, um, what it means really is once they have a totalitarian regime within the Americas, they'll have peace at the top. They won't have to worry about us, and they certainly will prosper at the top. We'll all be slaves. But also yeah. we have to bail out European banks as well yeah. if they go under. So in other words, we're all in it together. That's their big slogan. And right. that's what they always wanted us to come to. But they're going to bring a new monetary system out of this eventually. I don't know when. Uh, John Maynard Keynes talked about it. He says it will be a new system not based on the old profit-type system or the hoarding of money. It will be the world of servitude. And only by panicking and terrifying the public across the world, giving them tremendous hardship, would we be ready to accept it. I, I completely agree. You know, you mentioned the um, the bailing out of, of uh, foreign interests and um, that's a multifaceted issue, but that's why I keep saying the bailout bill turns the United States into a giant economic landfill. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting back to the double speak, like you're um, pointing out, when when they say we, like I tell I tell people this all the time, when they say we, they're not talking about you or I. That's right. <laughs> but we assume that. It's and funny because, some... because you see the password of Rosicrucians in the the Queen Elizabeth the the first court was uh, the old Latin term, it was in Greek actually, it was from nous, N-O-U-S. You transpose that into French, and it was U-S. And that's the term that they always use. You're either with us, U-S, or you're with the terrorists. Uh, so they have right. all these little right. Masonic jokes amongst themselves, and the yeah. public have no idea of what's actually being said. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, should we... Should we uh, I wouldn't mind giving a shameless plug, you know, it's really not shameless, but, you know, uh, for your books, for example, you know, the, um, the Cutting Through volumes, yes. and that's mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've got three books on my website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, and I do the Cutting Through series, one, two, and three, 
which goes through some of the psycholinguistics and uh, even terms and, and, uh, or, or even the sciences of this going back for a few hundred years and how they brought it all into the English language. We don't realize even that the language itself is updated and upgraded every so often by those who control our minds. And they put it to full use as well. Once you understand how they speak, what they're saying, and the coding they use, you get a completely different picture, and everything becomes understandable. Interesting. Well, I, I have a question, and I know that we're, uh, we've got about 60 seconds left in this segment, and then a short segment on the other side. My question, and uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are um, for the next segment. And this should, I don't know, probably leave folks hanging. It'll leave me hanging. But my question is, um, do you think, um, in your opinion, is Putin a wild card or is he controlled opposition? Because he's, I mean, for example, I heard John Hagee say this morning, you know, he's harping on the whole, you know, I mean, he's basically doing his rhetorical soundbite job, but he's talking about how Russia attacked Georgia. Putin is one of few people that, that, um, chronologued what really happened appropriately so when we come back from the break uh hopefully you share some thoughts on that stick around we'll be right back with my my guest alan watt host of cutting through the matrix segment of the second hour of Road Warrior Radio with my guest, Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix. And um, I, I uh, unfairly asked a question with a short amount of time left. And uh, so, I don't know, hopefully maybe that will be a setup and we can do this again some sometime. But um, what, what are your thoughts on the, the Putin factor, I suppose, if we want to call it that? Yes, but well, Putin, I will see who was Putin there uh, by design. But, but yeah. Putin, uh, uh, if necessary, he'll play the bad guy. If they need an enemy, if we won't get to our knees and give everything up as they hope we will, they'll, they'll have to get another enemy uh, very quickly to scare us to death and, and bring us to our knees till we do pray that they give us an answer to it all, and they'll be only too glad to do so. However, um, they're allowed a certain amount of competition, even at Putin's level, same with politicians below presidents and prime ministers. They're allowed a certain amount of competition. It's only necessary you own the ones at the top. That's what Carl Quigley said. Uh, now, Georgia uh, is a very unique place. Uh, that was a special place set aside by Lenin uh, for certain people for helping in the Bolshevik Revolution. And that was one of their main areas for scientific research in, in different areas. Um, they set up under Stalin 10 super cities, very advanced 
You'll never see them on a map. However, uh, another one, the 11th one, was the one that is on the map, and that is Georgia. And Georgia, they basically had phagocytes from 1917. Uh, they didn't need antibiotics. They could literally alter viruses to destroy any other virus or bacterium, any disease from 1917 onwards. And the West was only told about this on a documentary from the CBC Canada uh, about four years ago, and it's called Phagocytes. Very interesting movie to see if you can get it from CBC. Now it's been suppressed again, that information, but they could, they could literally kill anything, including gangrene, with it. Uh, that's how far ahead the sciences at the top really, really are. Georgia was a mainstay for this, but Georgia has a special tie with Israel, we found out, because the Israeli troops had uh, signed a deal with them. They trained the troops, they armed the troops, and it's all to do with who gets first grabs at the pipelines that are coming through there. So at that level, they are allowed a certain amount of competition amongst themselves, uh, a, sort, a sort of jousting match, you might say, like knights do, to take the booty, uh, the rewards. And that's really what Georgia was about. And uh, more will come out of this as time goes on, and, and the reporters are allowed to say a little bit more about it when we don't really care anymore. That's when they tell us what really happened. So, yeah. so Georgia, definitely in the scientific research field, was way ahead, light years ahead of the West with its antibiotics and, and different things too. If you can create viruses to, to, to eat other viruses, that meant you could literally program viruses in 1917 to kill people as well. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, coincidentally, we wound up with the Spanish flu in 1917. Imagine that. Yes, we did. And, and um, I'm certain that's why, because um, I've gone to the... If you see phagocytes, CBC Canada, you'll see, you get the history of that, how a guy came from Canada to the Soviet Union and set up this factory, and they were curing diseases from then on with a whiff from a, a little uh, spray you just uh, sprayed into the person's mouth. It would, it would kill off the bacterium or the virus that it was designed specifically to kill. Unbelievable. Folks, you've been listening to Alan Watt, host of Cutting Through the Matrix. That's yes. it. We'll uh, take care. We'll catch you on the other side.